Welcome to Almost Here, Around the Corner of Future Technology podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used. We're just around the corner from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech Podcast. My guest today is Gabe Batstone from uh, Context Air. Website is C-O-N-T-E-X-T-E-R-E. We're going to be talking about AI. So, uh, Gabe, how are you doing today? Great. Uh, thanks so much for having me. Appreciate taking a bit of your time. Yeah, tell me about Context Air. What do you guys do? Well, you know, at Context Air, it's a every day we wake up focused on transforming the future of work. Uh, you know, and that's a pretty broad statement, but the future of work from our context is we see a role in being able to provide actionable intelligence to that last tactical mile, which is, I would say, where people put warm hands on cold steel. They install, they maintain, they repair, they operate complex equipment. And that's the kind of stuff that makes our, our cities run. And, and when I say actionable, really, I would translate that into in context. You know, you're getting intelligence without it being in context isn't, isn't actionable. And, and the last tactical mile in, in that description really refers to our obsession with enriching the work environment of blue collar workers in specific. Well, when you say, all right, what, what industries, what specific jobs, and you know, then we'll get into how you help them. Absolutely. So we focus on the industrial side of the house. So, you know, spent my whole career in industrial software, you know, starting out in, in um, you know, GIS, so mapping software and virtual reality, augmented reality, and, and now here, here I sit in AI. Um, but what has always been a, a focus throughout that career, you know, trajectory has been industrial software. And so that's the people who've got big steel, right? So that's aerospace and defense, oil and gas, power and utilities, and, and to some extent, smart cities, because cities are, are full of infrastructure and equipment to support that infrastructure. So those are the kind of sectors that we look at. And, and our vision, you know, as it look across that is, you know, imagine that you could walk up to a piece of equipment or a piece of infrastructure and have a dialogue. You say, hey, when were you last served, serviced? What tools do I need to work on the job? Or what does this illegible error code actually mean? Right? And how do you facilitate a digital conversation with equipment um, so that humans can focus on what they're good at, which is using judgment, uh, understanding the environment, the customer situation, as an example, and computers can do what they're good at, which is you know taking large data sets and pulling out the stuff that's potentially most usable. And so that's a, you know that's our vision of where we go. And and so the kind of workers um, that we tend to impact right now are, are those on that last tactical mile. So it's the field service rep who, you know, is on the 40th floor of a, you know, a skyscraper right now fixing the chiller. Uh, or it's a oil field services rep who's inspecting a pipeline. Um, or it's a Department of Transportation worker who's repairing a broken down vehicle or perhaps inspecting a tunnel or a bridge. Um, so those are the kind of people that we're looking to help in, in those environments. Well, what's it like right now for those same people working on those same kind of devices? What do they have to go through now? And what's the, where's the heartache and the problems with it? Yeah, I think that's actually a pivotal question in this. And, and it became a bit of the source of the founding of Context Air is, is that as we went through, um, we had a bunch of why questions. You know, And one of those why questions is, why is the last tactical mile, that work environment, 
virtually unchanged, you know, over decades when so many other jobs are so different, right? We have so much technology, but why isn't it getting into the hands of the people who work the hardest? You know, and why do 5,000 people die every year on the job, right? In industrial accidents, it just doesn't make sense to us. And, and as we got down there, what we really learned was that, you know, technology tends to reside still in the ivory towers, um, which are now data centers, so to speak, right? You know, the data scientists, and, and there's a lot of good prediction and planning and analysis associated with all that big data that was such the rage. But the reality is the intelligence and the insights from that data aren't making it into the hands of the people who are executing. And I would argue some of that is a result of the fact that the people who fix, operate, maintain equipment have a much different profile uh, and style of work than do the people who actually work with big data. And no one's been able to translate that. And so we're very good at planning and, and bossing around those, those blue collar workers and, and where they should be and what they should be doing. But what we weren't very good at is how do you actually help them with technology to do the job better? Um, and so the analogy I tend to use is, you know, I want, I want Iron Man and Iron Woman, not Skynet. Um, you know, how do we turn these workers who do these important jobs with technology into super workers, right? Who not only have a, a safer work environment, but a much more rewarding one and for the business, a much more productive one. Yeah. I mean, they're the people at the rock face. They're the people sitting there with the broken unit, you know, with the smoke coming out of it. So, I mean, they're the ones that can give you the best intelligence instead of just like, you know, stuff in a database back at corporate. So it makes total sense. Yeah. Yeah, and those are the people who are also, from a demographic perspective, walking out the door right now, right? Is when you get to those blue-collar occupations, whether it's field service workers uh, or tradesmen, they are in large number hitting retirement age because a lot of them are boomers. And with them is all this institutional or tribal knowledge that they've uh, captured in their brains, right, and in their hands over all of these years. And how are we going to translate that knowledge into millennials and to the next gener generation of the workforce? And not just how are we going to capture it and give it to them, but what means? Because how a millennial learns and what they expect out of a job is much different than what a 60-year-old uh, you know, journeyman uh, field service rep expects. So there's some real challenges in there, and, and we believe technology can be a, a driver to change and transformation that supports both sides of that equation. Yeah, I didn't realize a lot of the people that do these jobs are are that much older. What's it like for the newer people? I mean, do they just not like these jobs? They're not exciting to them because of the way they are? Is it, you know, I guess it's out of kilter with how they normally function in the world or what's, what's the issues? Yeah, I think there's a couple issues. So one is, you know, pure demographics is you had the boomers, right? And so there's just a high volume of workers. And then you had this small Gen X um, who followed, you know, my generation and there weren't enough people, right, to fill those jobs. And there weren't, frankly, very many jobs available because the boomers had them. And then now you've got this big whack load of millennials, right, who are, you know, many, you know, multiple decades in many cases younger than the people who have those jobs. And so some of that, right, and you've got a hollow middle. Some of that is just the reality of, right, they grew up and they learned in a different environment, right? That, you know, if you hand a 20-year-old a kid a 1,200-page Caterpillar you know, 126 engine manual, you're going to get that baby back with no bent pages, right? Like that's not how they learn. That's not how they consume information. They expect digital, they expect iPads, they expect augmented reality. 
at the same time, you know, you try to give a baby boomer journeyman mechanic who's been working on that same chiller at the top of that skyscraper for the last three decades and tell him he needs to throw on a pair of AR glasses to do his job right. And he'll help you to the door. Right? Yeah. So, you know, we've got to bridge that delta of, of using the new technologies that the next generation requires while still providing tools that the generation that's coming to the end of their uh, work span can also allow them to be more productive. Um, and that's you know certainly not an easy task, but we think it's, it's quite manageable. Uh, but what's not going to work is you can't do the old way of training, you know, on the job training, you know, spend seven years, you know, getting someone into an occupation to be successful. That's, that's not scalable and that's not rapid enough when you've got the kind of uh, workforce um, transformation that we see going on. Um, but I think if you take the workforce tra transformation and blend it with the technological transformation, we can get an outcome that works. And But what you need is, and, and where we saw a bit of the gap is, there aren't a ton of people, frankly, in the world who understand the last tactical mile, but also understand emergent technology, right? You know, it, it, there's just not a lot of people who can say, or converts in, in augmented reality for the enterprise and also know how to, you know, turn a wrench and understand the day in the life of somebody uh, who's in Afghanistan repairing a Humvee, you know, as a part of the war on terror. Um, and luckily, hmm. um, or, or fortunately, in our lives, uh, Carl Byers and myself, you know, we found a context there a bit on that premise of, well, we've been to Alabama and Afghanistan uh, and Africa, and we've been on last tactical miles on just every continent except uh, except Antarctica. And so we need to take some of that talent um, that and experience that we had from the technology side and blend it with some of that awesome real world experience. We were lucky enough to be in the right place uh, and start to, to be a part of this transformation in the future of work. So which industries have you decided to focus on? Because it's hard to do them all and be effective. It sure is. You know, and um, we've you know, where you stand depends on where you sit. It's a fair quote of mine. So we thought the best, safest place to start was aerospace and defense. And, and that's as much a result of the fact that we spent um, a good part of our careers um, in aerospace and defense working with market leaders like Lockheed Martin, you know, working on the F-35 for well over a decade now, again, on that maintenance and sustainment side of the F-35. And and again, worked with all branches of the U.S. military and Canadian military. So we started there because we've got that trusted relationship where they know that we've brought innovation and been able to, to bring it to these complex organizations and get the job done. But we see the market is much broader. Um, we're very interested in, um, in, in attacking both oil and gas, which we also have some experience in, and power and utilities. And, and the reality is there, the kind of important aspect um, from our technology's point of view is you need to have a large blue collar workforce, you know, because if you don't have a ton of these workers, you're not going to care if, if they're safer and work better. So that's a, that's a piece of it. You also need lots of complex and expensive equipment because if something can break and you can just replace it, again, a solution like ours is less compelling. And then it's helpful if you're in a regulated environment. And, and that is that you're going to really have compelling reasons to care that your equipment's well taken care of. And, and so that, you know, aerospace, obviously, with the FAA and power and utilities through power authorities, uh, oil and gas from a variety of different um, angles all met those criteria. Uh, and so that's where we're focusing on at this point. The smart city side to what we do is cities are full of power and utility um, you know, things and transportation is another sector that we're uh, beginning to see um, uh, opportunity in. So that's that's the initial focus. Obviously, the idea of providing you know intelligent insights in context, 
you know, to someone doing their job really could apply to any job. You know, what job wouldn't you want to have useful information that you wouldn't have otherwise had as you go about it? Uh, but we found in the combination of the most compelling business problems tied to our personal experience, um, those those three verticals are where we're going to start. Well, I'm sure there's tons of tools as well. So what are like some of the most important few tools that you would roll out? And, you know, what are the reasons, you know, like if you were to focus down, what's your first focus there and why? So our, our first focus is um, – is on the last tactical mile and providing a personal agent, you know, so essentially a personal assistant to your last tactical mile workers that gives them real time insights and cues as they go about their job. You know, so they're almost like uh, a blue collar whisperer where imagine, you know, that your, your employees have somebody who's whispering in their ear insights that might be as simple as, um, uh, just so you know, 80% of the time, this particular procedure you're doing, um, finds a fault. Right, so you'll pay more attention, or it could be much more personal than that. It could be whispering in your ear, uh, just as a um, in case you forgot. You know, seven months ago, the last time you tried to do this procedure, you did it incorrectly. So now you might do it a bit slower, or it might be a, an alert where all of a sudden, um, you know, on your phone or your watch, whatever hardware you've got that that we install the software, it might give you an alert to say, hey, um, you can't see it, you know, but underneath this casing. Um, the temperature is extremely hot, so you need to be careful. And so we're, in some ways, I always say, trying to provide that um, little tip that not only makes people more productive and safer, because what you'll find and what we found is that when something bad occurs, right, as simple as a mistake on how to repair a piece of equipment to something as tragic, um, you know, as, as the loss of life in a, in a war or, or an airline accident, I, I worked in the airline industry as well, the one thing that you'll always hear people say is, if I had only known X, right? There's just like, oh, if I had known this piece of information, I would have done things differently. And this error, this mistake, this fatality wouldn't have occurred. And so that, you know, my passion is, well, let's, let's get that if I only know and provide it to people before it happens, right? We've got machine learning. We've got artificial intelligence. We have compute capability that was unheard of. Um, you know, we walk around with a supercomputer in our pocket without thinking twice about it. How are we not providing people insights to avoid these scenarios uh, as they go about their, their lives and their day-to-day -day jobs? And, and there's just no reason that 13 people shouldn't go home every night after just going to work, right? It's just unacceptable given what we, the technology we have and the people that we have who could use it. When you say people, you know, workers will say, if I only had known, like, what are the uh, the most frequent complaints they have, like, can you silo them, you know, and tell me like the, the top things that upset them about their work or make them feel ineffective or cause problems? It's funny. Well, you know, it's changed over the years. Um, it used to be just a, a lack of information. There was just a dearth of information. Like, I don't have access to the manual. I don't have this information. And that's really shifted over the last, you know, in particular five years to the most common complaint we have is data uh, overload. Is we were like, where I'm overwhelmed by the amount of data that I'm being given, right? You know, so I've, you know, I've got three apps and uh, and two manuals and four service bulletins um, and two people to call, and I get into a situation and I don't even know where to look, right? You know, I, I, what do I do with these dozen potential outlets um, to get information? And so what people tend to do is I don't even know, so I'll just do it the way I used to do it, or I'll just wing it. Right, because I don't know where to look with all of this information. And what people don't need is more data. You know, what they need is knowledge, right? They need us 
you know, in the software and the technology in the management world to filter out the noise and get them the one or two pieces of information that are relevant to them. And that's in context, right? And context matters. And, and I think that's where the blending of technology um, with the uh, humans really can have a huge impact because what computers are good at is, is you know, seen in their name, compute, right? So they can go and just crunch through all of that data and figure out what's the right information to provide to that worker who can then use what they're good at, which is judgment, right? Because computers are great at, at providing you with potential decisions. What they aren't good at is providing you with judgment because judgment is which decision in the context of the situation I'm in is the right one. Because there's very rare situations where there's a single right decision, right? It's not so black and white. And, and that's a bit of, I think, why technology hasn't made it to the last tactical mile is there's this assumption that, well, blue-collar workers, they just go to work and they do the exact same thing every day, right? They just hammer that nail and that nail goes in. And, and why would they need intelligence? But if you actually spend time with blue-collar workers on these last tactical miles, and again, that can be from Afghanistan to Africa to Alabama to the streets of Manhattan, as I was just a few months ago, those folks are making minute-by-minute decisions that impact cost, quality, profitability, and safety every day. Because no, no workday survives past 9 a.m., right? Because there's tons of decisions because there's other humans involved, the customer, Every piece of equipment is unique. You know, they, it, you'd think they're all the same, but they're not because they've been serviced differently. They have different histories. They're in different buildings. And the amount of variability to a blue-collar worker's day um, is probably one of the least known things, I think, within you know, the broader community. And so what they want is in this high-stress, important environment is give me insight. Don't give me data. I don't need any more apps, right? I don't need any more 1,400-page manuals. What I need is a couple of important, insightful things from that chaos that you've got at headquarters that are going to help me do my job, and then let me do it. So I'd say that is probably the uh, the biggest complaint we hear. Yeah, that answers it. Um, so what kind of technologies um, will be the easiest to deploy versus harder ones? Like would AR glasses that look at a you know a pump to see if it's overheated, or just you know infrared glasses be easier to do than? A recommendation engine for like how to service one of them. So I think the it's a good question. I think my perspective, you know, and the answer to most of the, you know those types is it depends. Different environments, you know, um, cater to different solutions, and I think that's another part is there's no there's no cookie cutter to this. You know, every environment's different, but I think in terms of a transition, in terms of the most common platform that's likely to be used, it's actually as simple as the mobile phone. Right, you know, providing text messages, providing simple statements um, or, or data points um, that provide insight is probably the easiest transition because there's the technology side of what is possible, but then there's what is consumable by that end user, right? And and so most jobs, the reality is for the foreseeable future, aren't going to have you know Hololenses and and AR headsets laying around for people to use let alone whether you could train and have those people use them that's just not going to happen in the short term and i think that's where we sometimes get off track um both in the technology and the procurement world is people get hung up on what they're going to buy like am i going to buy glasses or i'm going to buy uh, a headset and and what kind of technology and really we need to focus much more on the outcomes right and and the outcomes are tied to what information are you going to present regardless of device, right? Like the first thing that's more important than deciding which technology um, 
piece of hardware you're going to provide is what information are you trying to convey? Um, and so that's what you need engines, right? Intelligence engines um, to be able to do that. And we spend a lot of time, you know, as you talked about a little bit earlier on recommendation engines, right? Like a crunching the numbers to say, here's what should be done next. And, and that answers the question of, of so what, right? So you've got all this big data. So what? Well, so what is we can make a recommendation. But what's gotten lost in there is there's also a now what is that now somebody's got to actually go do that, right? Somebody's got to put a piece of metal in their hands and make a change that has a difference. So I think, um, I think the, the key is to focus on the content of what you want to display to get the outcome that you want. And then when you do get to the hardware, I think you start with what people already have and are already comfortable with. And in most cases, that's a mobile phone. Now, you know, we've got customers who are, are looking at wearables, um, such as the watches and, and the HoloLens. And I think from an experimentation, from a test, from a moving forward point of view, I'm a big believer in all of those technologies. In particular, you know, I think augmented reality is, is transformational. Um, and when you're dealing with the younger generation, you know, is, is going to be um, critical to success. But having said that, in the, you know, August of 2018, you can get a lot done just putting stuff on a phone. Yeah, you might as well leverage what's there. That makes sense. Makes sense. Um, so where are you at? Are you deployed in any industries, or what's your roadmap for the next year or two? Yeah, so we're you know we're in the uh, pilot phase, right? So where we go in with customers and we're um, you know taking our our technology and putting it in their environment to test out not just the technology. In many cases, it's less the technology and more about. How is it going to work within their environment? You know, we've got to take in their enterprise data, understand their sensor environment, and also understand their teams. So right now, the way, um, you know, there's kind of two ways that we're primarily working with our customers now. Um, one is just helping them with the strategic transformation required as you deal with wearables and IoT and augmented reality and AI and what the heck do you do with all that, right, if you work at a Fortune 500 company? It can be overwhelming. So often we'll come in and we'll just help with that, right, like to help them segment, stratify, and understand how do we move forward to transform the future of work. And that um, is phase one. And we move on then to, okay, well, let's put this into practice. Let's, let's take the technology that Context there has developed, this personal agent for a blue-collar worker, and give it to some of our blue-collar workers to test how is it going to work What's the best use case to apply it for? You know, should we using it to support our inspectors as opposed to the people who maintain, as opposed to the people who install? Um, because one of the powers of our technology is it really applies to a broad spectrum of workers. Um, so deciding which is the right group um, to move forward with is a big part of that. And in the process, you know, we'll have our first product, um, uh, enterprise software as a service product, completed this year. Um, and so that will be available to the kind of power users who are at the phase that they've done the pilot, they know where they want to use it, and they're ready to go forward. So that's where we sit, and, and next year we'll look, uh, we'll look to evolve that even further. But the reality is, you know, it's not just about, you know, technology. It's about cultural transformation at each of these organizations. And so you really have to be responsive and go in and, you know, talk to that customer, you know, whether it's Lockheed Martin, you know, who's, who was one of our first and, and largest customers, and just understand, okay, well, where are we at? Where are we at technology-wise? Where are we at budget-wise? Where are we at culture-wise? Uh, and then figure out the right solution. And I think if you do it that way, that's a key to getting emergent technology implemented. If you try to come in and say, hey, I've got the solution. It's built. It's ready. Just buy it and you go. Um, even if you can get the money for it, you're not going to be successful. It's a, um, it's a harder row to, to hoe. 
um, than simply getting the money, right? You got to care about success and success requires culture. Culture requires people and, and people requires, you know, face-to-face time, commitment, and a real relationship with your, with your customers so that they're really not customers, they're actually partners. Well, what about the fear that AI will, you know, take away these kinds of jobs? I mean, do you sense that from the companies or from the workers themselves? I mean, do, you, do they welcome your solution or do they think like, do the companies think, oh, we'll just get computers to do all this, we don't need people? Yeah, you get, I think some of that exists. I think it exists, the, certainly the dystopia side of thing exists more in the, in, within the media and, and the general public than I see in the large companies themselves. You know, the reality is, you know, that's one of the biggest you know, challenges that, that, that you'll encounter is these misconceptions and hyperbole around job disruption and the fear of technological evolution. When you look at it, though, you know, since 1950, um, there's 270 occupations that are categorized by the U.S. Census Bureau, and only one's been eliminated, right? Like in 60, 70 years now. And, you know, or, you know, there's more bank tellers today than there was when the ATM was first introduced. And, and so the, the numbers and the reality is different, but that doesn't change the challenge that's faced. I do think that I've seen over the last year a bit of that fear abate as people start to see that and get to the point, I think, which is important, and that is how do we best leverage the power of automation, the power of compute with um, humanity, as opposed to the zero sum, you know, computers are going to take all our jobs. It, you know, I, I certainly uh, am not a believer that that's a, that's a risk. I think we have to manage some displacement because there, there will be displacement, you know, in, in every revolution and, and the fourth industrial you know, revolution certainly um, won't be an exception to that. But I think in, in, in most cases, the workers themselves are, have been quite receptive, right? And, and they're used to technology in their personal lives now, you know, with the particular with the iPhone and mobile phones more generally. They've gotten used to, you know, clicking on a button to figure out how to get somewhere, right, to get to dinner or their watch reminding them that uh, they've got a reservation at a, a restaurant. And so, interestingly, in many times in the past, you know, was industrial technology that transformed um, your personal life. You know, I, I come from a mapping background and, and GPS, which is ultimately a military technology, transformed the in-car navigation and mobile navigation space. And what I'm really seeing now that's, that's much different than early in my career is a lot of personal technology in people's personal lives is now working its way back into the industrial sector. And so I think people's comfort with technologies, including you know AI-empowered technologies, is is greater than it would have been um, if it wasn't for kind of the iPhone uh, revolution, so to speak. So there's certainly, I'd say, two years ago, it was a real challenge that we had to address head-on um, when we were you know talking about our technology and, and starting this company. And today it's a bit more nuanced, and and people just want to understand, well, what's your position? you know, in terms of employment and the human factor. And, and obviously, there's a couple of technology guys walking around talking about how to empower those blue-collar workers. You know, we've got a story that, that people like to hear. Well, very cool. Well, I didn't even realize this need was uh, was here, so I'm glad you highlighted it. So what's the best way for uh, companies and individuals to get in touch and to ask more and maybe, you know, see if you have a solution that would help them and their workers? Uh, absolutely. The easiest way is, you know, we're a small company, so you can you can contact me. Um, obviously, the website, uh, which you mentioned earlier, contextair.com, is, it will give the overview. And, and, and my email is gabe at contextair.com. 
you know, we're on the road, you know, talking to and working with our customers all over North America and uh, and soon globally. So uh, we're available. We love to talk to people. We love to learn and understand. You know, that's a part of this process is, is every every trip I go on, you learn something new. Um, I always say, you know, the best thing you can do in your career is uh, is play in traffic. You know, just get out there. You don't know what you don't know. Engage with people. Try to solve problems. Keep an open mind. Um, so we certainly uh, would love to hear from uh, from some of your listeners and, and sincerely appreciate you giving us uh, a little time to share our story. That's great. Well, Gabe, thanks for coming. I really appreciate it. All right. Take care. Thank you so much. You've been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post a review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.